So here we are, Revelation chapter 8, with the trumpet that you don't want to hear. Uh, what is that? Well, we like to think as a Christian, we read our Bible, I want to hear the trumpet, and we hear the voice, come up here. Man, that's going to be a great trumpet. But we don't want to be here for the trumpets that are going to be sounding in Revelation chapter 8. You're going to see why in just a minute. Now remember how the judgments of the book of Revelation unfold, right? They unfold like a telescope. You have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, which we're going to get into tonight, and then the bull judgments. There's uh, three sets of judgments, seven judgments each. So you have seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bull judgments. Uh, they unfold like a telescope, or as someone else said, they unfold like a gift, a uh, present. Uh, you, you open up the big box, and inside is a, a, a another box that has seven more. Then, and then you have another set of seven inside the box. The only problem is, as you unfold and unopen these presents, these aren't exactly the kind of presents you want to see, because they're going to be bringing judgment on the world. So chapter 6 of the book of Revelation was the first six seal judgments. In chapter 7, we saw the 144,000 Jews. We come to chapter 8, and we have the seventh seal judgment, and then all that happens. And then, right after that, comes the first four of the trumpet judgments. Now, from this point on, I'm going to tell you something right now. Things are going to go from bad to way worse. Things are going to get really bad tonight. Uh, fasten your seatbelts. We are in for a ride. From this point on, the book of Revelation is a ride. It is exciting. Uh, in fact, when you get to chapter 9, which will be next, uh, we're going to have the army of 200 million. You hear about them? Who, are, who is that army of 200 million? We're going to look at that. Um, and, and, then, and then you get to chapter 11, and you have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Is it Moses and Elijah? Then you get to chapter 12 and chapter 13 and the Mark of the Beast. So from this point on, it's just plain exciting. And by the way, I forgot to make this mention. Uh, next Sunday night, David Hawking's going to be here. So invite your friends. It's going to be a great Sunday night next week. So invite your friends next week. Uh, but with that being said, we look at this and we begin Revelation chapter 8. Are you ready? Got your seatbelts fastened? Okay, here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ, opened the seventh seal. Remember the first six seals were open in chapter 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the angels of heaven who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Uh, I, let me stop here for just a second. And, um, and uh, I, I came across this sign. Somebody sent it to me. Prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. And by the way, if you send a sign here or somebody watching via email, something I can use in the Bible study, not in the news feed ahead of time, in the Bible study, uh, Craig says he will send you $1,000 cash. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. 
Well, somebody sent me this sign, and uh, it fits well. Uh, however, um, what we have is the Bible itself to help us understand the prophetic events of what is not unforeseen, unforeseen to the world, but foreseen to us because we know how everything is going to unfold. Now, also, I want to point out this. In the first six verses, you notice the prayers of the saints that were heard, and then this golden censer is thrown to the earth below, and the judgments are going to begin. Uh, remember, uh, back in Revelation chapter 6 with the fifth seal, there were martyrs that were being slaughtered, and they said, how much longer, O Lord? It appears to be this is the answer. Here it is. Now, chapter 6, the sixth seal happened, but this seems to be when it really happens. The prayers of the saints are being answered, and, and, and the judgment is coming upon um, the planet. That being said, uh, when we begin in verse 1, there's silence in heaven for about a half hour, and then you get to verse 2, and there's seven angels that are given the seven trumpets. So what do we have? We have the seven trumpet judgments that are going to begin tonight in Revelation chapter Eight. The first four judgments are in chapter 8, and then the rest come in the uh, following chapters. But notice what happens here in verse 1, that there's silence in heaven for about a half hour. You and I, we live in a very noisy society, and I, I think if you're like me, you could say, man, sometimes silence is golden. I just don't want to hear anything. I want to be closed off. I want to be able to close off my mind, close off my eyes, and, and close off my ears. One anonymous uh, person has concluded, uh, speaking of noise, that it takes uh, two years to learn how to talk and the rest of your life to learn how to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> the Bible certainly deals with the subject, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, Solomon reminds us, that there is a time to keep silent and a time to speak. And it was also Solomon who noted in Proverbs chapter 17, even a fool is counted as being wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered uh, perceptive. That's something to keep in mind. If you're always talking, people are going to think, man, this guy, uh, this guy doesn't know what he's, going, what he's talking about. Keep your mouth shut. People are going, man, I wonder what he's thinking. Right? They don't know. You just don't, you're not even thinking of anything. You don't. But moving from those things, talking and so forth, it leads us to Revelation chapter 8 with the first question is this. Why is there silence in heaven at this time? Well, we're not told um, exactly why, uh, but we can surmise that we just read in the first six verses that there's angels that are given seven trumpets. Now understand this, the seventh seal is loosened, right? So it was Jesus who had the seal, the, the scroll, and he loosened the first six seals. Remember, that was Jesus. Here's Jesus who's loosening the seventh seal. It, it, it appears that what happens is the angels are around the throne. They're given seven trumpets of the seven trumpet judgments. When Jesus takes off the seventh seal, they're standing there, and they're looking at the judgments that are coming. They're handed the trumpet judgments to blow the trumpet because the judgment's coming, and they are horrified by what they see coming upon the planet. So there is a hushed silence. But when we think of trumpets, these, these angels here in chapter 8 are given seven trumpets. What do trumpets, what do we, we know of trumpets from the Old Testament? Well, the sound of a trumpet 
promised in the Old Testament, for example, the collapse of a strong city. Uh, Revelation, uh, excuse me, Joshua chapter 6, uh, the Israelites were supposed to march around the city of Jericho, remember that? And then blast the trumpets, and the walls of Jericho collapsed. Uh, it, the trumpets also promised victory. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, the alarm of two trumpets reminded the children of Israel that the Lord their God would deliver them. Also, trumpets promised liberation. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 9, the sound of the trumpet signaled the year of Jubilee in which all debts were canceled and all slaves were set free. So when we read about the trumpet judgments of Revelation chapter 8, we find that all of these things are taking place. There is collapse. There is calamity like the walls of Jericho coming down upon the world at the sound of the trumpet judgments. At the same time, there is victory. There is liberation for all of God's people. Because when all of the judgments are done, guess what? The Messiah is going to return and rule and reign from Jerusalem. In verses 3 and 4, you also notice that the angel is holding a golden censer with much incense, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rises to the throne of God. With that, note this. In the Old Testament, you have the brazen altar and the altar of incense, these two altars, twice a day. Once in the morning and once in the evening, the priest would take some of the hot coals in the censer from the brazen altar and bring them to the altar of incense. They would use those hot coals to light the incense, and the smoke of that incense was to represent the prayers of God's people. Here in verse 4, we see the same thing happen as the prayers of the saints ascend before God from the angel's hand. And then in verse 5, we see that the angel takes some of the fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. So with all of this as the background, just to this point, with the angel throwing the censer with the fire from the altar to the earth, the half hour of silence is done. Baby, it's over. And the trumpet judgments begin. You ready? This is where you got to fasten your seatbelts. Click, click. Okay? Second question. How bad will things get? Really bad. Worse than this world has ever experienced before. Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. That's how bad it is going to get. Look what's coming, verse 7. So the first angel sounds the trumpet, right? And hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. This is not good. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Wow, so how bad thing, will things get? They're going to get really, really bad. You saw everything being burned up with this first angel sounding. This takes us to the next question. What is being harmed in these judgments? I'll tell you. In the first four trumpet judgments that we look at in this message of Revelation chapter 8, in the first four trumpet judgments, they target the earth and the environment. Why? Do these first four judgments target the earth and the environment? I believe I can know why based upon what I see going on in the world and also based upon what Romans chapter 1 tells us. Romans chapter 1 tells us that it gives us the, the time frame 
that appears to be the last days when people will worship the creation rather than the creator. They're going to worship the environment, Mother Nature, nature itself, rather than the God who created the planet. And then God says, as women lie with women and men with men, uh, this planet's going to receive in themselves the penalty which is due. Right? So we start thinking of the environment. We have a major push in our world right now regarding global warming, right? So global warming is blamed for everything that goes wrong. If there's too much ice, it's global warming. If there's too much sun, it's global warming. If there's a terrorist attack, it's global warming, right? The reason the guy in North Korea, I've read this, the reason the guy in North Korea is nuts is because of global warming. And since Trump won't sign the Paris Climate Treaty, guess whose fault it is? Right, so you start looking at this. Now you might think I'm exaggerating. I can assure you I am not, and I've documented this. How many of you have heard of this, Agenda 2030? Okay, Agenda 2030 is a UN deal, and it is alive, and it is well. But with Agenda 2030, I documented this in my first book, America in the New World Order, and here's the deal. In September of 2015, the 193 member states of the UN General Assembly unanimously passed the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. In other words, whatever it takes to make sure that this earth is sustained. The UN describes the 2030 Agenda in utopian terms, quoting them, we are determined to take the bold and transformative steps which are urgently needed to shift the world onto a sustainable and resilient path as we embark on this collective journey, we pledge that no one will be left behind. What they are really pledging is that no one will be able to opt out of this. This is why the UN and so many people that are pushing the climate treaty and the global warming stuff are so upset right now with the United States for not getting involved in the Paris climate treaty. Now that being said, I want you to think of this. Another quote. This is from uh, the Pope. In June of 2015, Pope Francis issued his encyclical on climate change. It called for global entities to wrest control from local governments, quoting, international negotiations, he wrote, cannot make significant progress due to positions taken by countries which place their national interests above the global common good. Hence, the United States is a problem. Any country that make America great again, that's a problem. We're talking about the global good, right? These are the Pope's words, so I'm not making this up. And then there's regulatory norms. Where do these regulatory norms come from? Pope Francis explained, there's urgent need of a true world political authority. One, authoritative source of oversight and coordination which lays down rules for admissible conduct in the light of common good. And then this goes on. Pope Francis called on the world to enact climate change laws in a godlike manner written on unalterable tablets of stone so that no government could change anything. He is, he is calling for the subjugation of the people's will to that of an elite few who write unalterable laws. And I have a lot more in there also. So this is the reality of the world in which we live. You and I are watching 
uh, what is what, what's a war. Uh, on the one hand, we're watching a physical war between the globalists and the nationalists, mainly in the Western world. Uh, the United States and, and Europe is going through the same thing, right? Um, but it's really a spiritual war. It is a battle between God and Satan. I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to win. And, the, and everything is going to come down to Jerusalem when all is said and done. But when I look at why God, with the first four trumpet judgments, goes after the environment, because these climate change laws are going to be used. After the rapture, I'm convinced, when, there, when, there's, when there's no way to get in the way of these things, right? The global entity is going to come in like a flood, the global elite, and they're not going to let this world go into this nationalistic place. And, and when I see these things, the reality of it is the Agenda 2030, the, the climate change laws are already written to control the people, where you can live, uh, where you can work, um, whether or not you can use a charcoal barbecue, right? You've seen laws that you can't use wood-burning fireplaces anymore, right? These are all part of it. Everything is going this way. We have too much, you, you hear the, the, this carbon stuff going on, right? Yeah, you find out Al Gore burns more carbon than anybody else on the planet, right? Because they know this is just a sham. But the climate change laws, I'm telling you right now, are about controlling the masses of the people. They're, they're going to be set up like a godlike form, kind of like the Ten Commandments are, and God is going to go after the environment that man worships. So let's move on. Ready? Verse 8. So we have the first trumpet sound. A third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up, right? The environment. Verse 8. Then the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. Yuck. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Wow. Number four. Fourth question. What kind of mountain, of fire, mountain on fire can this be? Well, notice how John writes, like a mountain of fire. He doesn't say it is a mountain on fire, but it's like a mountain on fire. In fact, the word used here is oros, the Greek word, and it means mountain. What John sees is something that is enormous, that appears to be on fire, that hits the earth. Uh, it appears to be, when I look at it, as a large asteroid. Now, scientists have been tracking several asteroids for years now, and there are some people that are worried that one or more of them are going to hit the planet and they could hit the planet at any time. Listen, I'm not worried about those things because I know what the Bible says. These are going to hit the planet during the tribulation period. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, asteroids or uh, meteorites, something like that, are going to plummet the earth in the sixth seal like figs falling from a tree late in season, right? And then here, it appears there's a really big asteroid. You know, you see those movies coming out of Hollywood. A great big asteroid hits the Atlantic Ocean, and, and New York City gets wiped out by a massive tsunami. That kind of thing is what John says is coming. There's a massive one, a mountain on fire that is going to hit this planet. But with that, when I, when I think about asteroids, Revelation 6 and Revelation here, uh, my mind goes automatically to this this is a, a drawing of what's known as the asteroid belt. 
may have shown you this picture before, something like it. And the asteroid belt is between Mars and Jupiter. It's just loaded with asteroids, right? And something is controlling these asteroids from going out of their orbits and coming into our direction and our orbit and hitting the planet Earth. I shared this with you before, but my mind goes here whenever I read about asteroids hitting the Earth uh, to Job Job chapter 38. This is what Job chapter 38 says. This is God speaking. Ready? Listen to these words. Job chapter 38, verse 22. God says to Job, Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail? Then he says this, which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war. Uh, Other translations say, have you seen my warehouse, my treasure house, with these things that I'm going to use in the day of judgment upon the planet? And I look at this asteroid belt, and I think of the asteroids that the Bible says that are going to come upon the earth during the tribulation. Listen, when these things happen... I am convinced I'm going to be gone. I look at this and I say, these are frightening things. Do you know that those who, the the church is found nowhere in the book of Revelation after chapter 4, verse 1, when God says, come up here. You don't see the church again in the book of Revelation until believers come back with the Lord at the end of the tribulation to Armageddon, then he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. There are people that are saved during the tribulation period But you do not read the church anywhere from chapter 4 until Jesus comes back at the end. But what's coming for those who are on the earth is absolutely, in my mind, it's absolutely um, horrific. Nevertheless, scientists speculate, man, this asteroid's going to hit the earth. Uh, Hollywood makes movies of it. I don't know if they really believe it or not, but according to the Bible, it really is going to happen during the tribulation period. Number five, what happens when this mountain hits the earth? That's a really good question. I'll show you. We read it. Verses eight and nine. One third of the sea becomes blood. Yuck. That's pretty gross. Notice that the word sea is singular, not seas, but sea. And also notice it is definite. It is the sea that is affected. I believe it's specific to the Mediterranean Sea. The sea is affected. Uh, when um, in years past, I've changed my position on this. In years past, I used to believe it was speaking of the Atlantic Ocean because the Atlantic Ocean essentially made up one-third of the seas of the world. However, this says one-third of the sea. And when the Bible is that specific about the sea or the great sea, it's always speaking of the Mediterranean Sea. Also, whenever you are studying Bible prophecy, everything comes down to the Middle East. It comes down to Israel, it comes down to a revived Roman Empire, and the nations that surround the nation of Israel. That's where everything is important. Go back in your mind some 2,000 years ago, right? When Jesus came the first time, he dies, he's resurrected, he sends to heaven, and the church is born. What was the, the, the uh, world power at the time? The Roman Empire, right? Jews and Christians persecuted by the Roman Empire. What happens in the last days? It's like a, a restart, pick up where we left off 2,000 years ago. A revived Roman Empire, hence 
You have Italy, Greece, the entire old Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire on the one side of the sea. You have Israel and the persecution of Jews and Christians. I'm convinced the sea that's spoken of is the um, Mediterranean Sea. And it says here it becomes as blood. Or uh, let's see, it says um, a third of the sea became blood. Doesn't say like blood. Now, notice with the mountain that was on fire, like a mountain that was on fire, right? Here it says the sea became blood, a third of it. So it implies that there's a whole lot of dead animals, mammals, through this great destruction that is coming upon the planet when this asteroid um, hits, this mountain of fire hits the sea, right? So one-third of the sea uh, becomes blood. Also, what else happens when this mountain hits the sea? One-third of the sea life is killed. Now, the Mediterranean Sea is filled with fish. It supplies uh, the food needs for many countries and peoples. This disaster will have a serious effect upon peoples in the world, especially anybody living around the Mediterranean Sea that depends on fish for their livelihood or fish for their food. Also, this is prophesied by the prophet Hosea. Hosea wrote, chapter 4, verse 3, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Again, thus he's speaking of the Mediterranean Sea. Now I want you to think of this, who Hosea was. He was a prophet. Uh, you remember Hosea, he was the prophet that was told, uh, you're going to marry that prostitute. And uh, she sells herself into prostitution, and then she's sold on the slavery block. He, he buys her back. God tells her to tells Hosea, go after her and go get her. Bo go buy her. Go get your wife, Hosea. You remember that? He's the prophet with a wife that was a prostitute. So he goes after her. He goes get her. Hosea was a picture of God in his own life. And his wife was a picture of Israel who had played the harlot. And God is telling Hosea over and over again, I love Israel even though they have played the harlot. I find this interesting because in the days when the fish of the sea are going to be taken away, it is at that time when God, during the tribulation period, is going after his wife, Israel, to redeem her from this world that is going through this judgment. I don't think it's a, 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 a coincidence, a quinky dink that Hosea wrote about that and we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. What else happens? One-third of the ships are destroyed. It seems like most of the world's ships are located in the Mediterranean, including naval uh, ships, fishing boats, and cruise ships. Needless to say, many lives will be lost and man's best militaries will be destroyed by one asteroid. A life lesson for us at this point, real simple, you ready, is this. God's weapons are not man's weapons. This is good and bad. It's bad if you're the enemy of God. It's good if you're one of God's children. Sometimes we wonder, man, how am I going to get through this, God? And you don't know. God has weapons that we, have, we know nothing of. Also, we are told in our day-to-day -day life, how are we to fight our battles? Our weapons are not carnal, like fighting and cursing and yelling and suing. Our, our weapons are not carnal, but our weapons are mighty in who? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for pulling down imaginations, 
and every thought that exalts itself against Christ. You have problems with imaginations? You bring them to Christ. God's weapons are not man's weapons, and guess what? Jesus is coming. But here on the Mediterranean Sea, you can imagine what's going to happen. People are going to be on their cruise ships. It's going to be like the Titanic. They're going to be having their music going, ignoring everything. Out of nowhere, this massive asteroid is going to hit the Mediterranean Sea, and life are going to be lost. Let's move on. Verse 10. And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Yuck. Number six. Only two more questions, by the way. But here it is. Number six. What is this star like a torch? Because that's what it says here, right? The star fell from heaven, verse 10, burning like a torch. Well, the word star is from the Greek word aster. It can give us asteroid. It can give us meteorite. It can give us comet, right? So notice this star is burning like a torch. The word torch comes from lampus. Think of lamp or lampus. Uh, a flame that is fed with oil is what it means. Uh, French origination meaning a flaming torch. So you see this, and it starts to make sense. I surmise that the last one was an asteroid that hit the Mediterranean Sea. Here, what is happening, it is a comet. Uh, verse 10 also informs us. I told you it was going to be bad tonight, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Verse 10 also informs us that somehow this star affects a third of the rivers and springs of water. In other words, a third of all of the drinking water is affected. It, probably with the way everything else is going, a third of all those things that are affecting uh, the, the, the area of Europe and the Mideast, uh, the drinking water is affected. It could hit North America too. I don't know, but it appears this comet is coming, and then it breaks up, and the different pieces, they've got a target. It's like the angel, okay, you go over there, you piece that broke off, and you hit that river, and you hit that stream, and you hit that freshwater lake, that kind of thing. These things are like, they're like missiles directed by God. If man can direct missiles, I'm telling you right now, God and his angels can direct a comet and the pieces of comet to hit wherever they're going. And it says here, well, it, uh, everything, the drinking water became as wormwood. The star has the name wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter mid-eastern plant with poisonous substance derived from a root that causes drunkenness and eventually death. And in the Bible, it is used as a reference to bitterness and sorrow. For example, Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations chapter 3 that God has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. And here, in this prophecy, a third of the drinking water becomes as wormwood, bitter and poisonous, and men die because of it. David Hawking writes this tragic judgment affecting the water supply of the world and bringing about the death of many is a consequence upon those who refuse to submit to God's authority in their lives. We all need water. It's basic to human survival. One can only imagine what sort of additional tragedies will occur because of the terrible pollution caused by this third judgment. Now, as I mentioned, I believe it's a comet. Uh, there's some of my friends that believe it's a nuclear thing that's coming some kind of nuclear missile that's launched. Uh, nevertheless, whichever it is, is going to be really bad. And, it's gonna, and a, lot of it, a lot of people equate the, it being nuclear because they say that 
Uh, remember Chernobyl, an accident in Russia. They say it translates out to be the name Wormwood, and they say that. Um, nevertheless, I take the approach. I believe it's a comet. But whatever it is, it may very well be nuclear. And I'll show you that. We're going to get to the last, uh, the, the last trumpet judgment for tonight and the final question. Uh, verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. You notice how all of these judgments are affecting a third of everything? Right from the first trumpet judgment, right on through, it's a third, a third, a third. And I looked, so this is affecting a third of the sun, a third of the of stars, the, the moon doesn't shine, the whole bit. And I looked, verse 13, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Yikes, that doesn't sound good. Because it's been really bad up to this point. And according to what John sees, woe, 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 three woes, it's, uh, th this is... This is going to get far, far worse. But this takes us to the last question, number seven. What can cause one-third of all light to go dark? Because that's what happens with this final, this fourth trumpet judgment. Uh, I think in our um, understanding of the world we live in today, uh, two possibilities. One of them is a volcanic eruption. Consider this. On October 27, 1883, there's a gigantic vo uh, volcanic explosion on the island of Krakatoa. It erupted, and, and when it did, it blew itself apart. The ocean went rushing into its crater, and the explosion of Krakatoa was heard 2,000 miles away. The island just obliterated itself. Can you imagine that? Uh, a noise heard 2,000 miles away. Uh, that's a volcanic eruption. Then the sky was colored by dust around much of the world for two years. Wow. That's in 1883. But with all of this, perhaps a lot of what we read tonight is what some of my friends say, um, with a third of the light going dark, is because of a nuclear holocaust. That certainly is a possibility. It's worth noting that the World Book Encyclopedia, speaking of a nuclear exchange or holocaust, state some of the effects from what scientists call a nuclear winter. Ever heard of that term? It, it states a, a nuclear winter refers to the deadly worldwide environmental effects that could result from a major nuclear war. Such a war could bring on a nuclear winter by causing disastrous changes in the Earth's atmosphere and climate. Uh, quoting World Book Encyclopedia, large amounts of smoke could spread and cover at least half of the Earth's surface the smoke could prevent most sunlight from reaching the ground. Temperatures could drop substantially, and rainfall could be reduced. These conditions might last for several months or years. With greatly reduced sunlight, less rain, and lower temperatures, farming could stop and worldwide famine could result. Wow. So whatever the darkness comes from, a nuclear winter or volcanoes, the Old Testament prophets... Uh, Isaiah spoke of this day uh, like this. And he wrote, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Wow. I will halt the arrogance of the proud 
and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth, will remove her out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his, his fierce anger. Wow! This isn't good. And then, after the fourth trumpet judgment, the words to John are this, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining three judgments that are still coming. As David Hockey notes, the word woe is one of those unique words whose sound indicates its meaning. It is a warning of what is to come. What this teaches us is that the last three of these trumpet judgments are more severe than anything has ever come upon this world. And so far, up to this point, man, it's been pretty bad. What's coming next? Well, we're going to get to chapter 9. We're going to look at the 200 million army, who they are or what they are. And then you get chapter 11 with the two witnesses. Is it Moses and Elijah? And on down, uh, on down um, the list. But that's not going to be tonight. And so tonight, let me conclude with this, because this is just a lot of bad news, isn't it? I did tell you it was bad news, didn't I? I did tell you to fasten your seatbelt, didn't I? Okay. So let me, thank you. So let me close with a little bit of good news. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Praise the Lord. It is a reservation. Do you know the Lord? If you know the Lord, there is a reservation all in heaven for you. All of this bad news we looked at tonight, you are not appointed to wrath. This wrath is coming upon this planet. And I, I praise God that it's God who has the reservation because I have had my reservation lost and mislocated and people say, I don't have your reservation uh, time and time again. But Jesus isn't going to lose our reservation. We have a reservation in heaven. Amen?